0: So our passage today is First John 3, verses 19 through 24. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Thank you. Today we're going to talk about confidence. Uh, first, about self-confidence. Many years ago, I, uh, when I left my previous career with one of the largest agribusiness companies in the world, uh, I became a pastor. And I think a lot of my colleagues back in those days thought, "What a do-, you know, what 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 a weird dude that is." And he'd go from this job to this job. And so, anyway, I had the opportunity to do a, a wedding for one of my really good friends back in those days for his son. And, and in the course of doing that wedding, uh, they, they'd asked me to uh, recite the Lord's Prayer with them. And, and uh, then after that, the uh, soloist was supposed to sing. And I was kind of showing off a little bit, I guess, pride, arrogance, confidence, all that stuff. And I got to the fourth verse of the Lord's Prayer. And I'm sitting there, standing there, frozen. Is it, forgive us our sins? forgive us our debts, or is it forgive us our trespasses? And literally, I stood there for what seemed like three or four minutes, totally uh, just unable to speak. And uh, when I got so flustered that then I forgot to invite the soloist to sing after I muddled my way through the rest of the prayer. That's what pride and confidence, self-confidence can do if it's filled with conceit and those kinds of things. And so today we're going to talk about that. Some of you, I know, are really confident about certain things. You go hunting and you come home with a trophy buck or whatever. You see your kids. They're perfectly obedient at everything. And so, uh, and confidence isn't bad. I mean, it's good as long as it doesn't get filled up with conceit and pride and all of those things that kind of gripped my heart that day. Uh, so it's not bad, but... We want to talk today about a different kind of confidence. In the scripture, Paul talks about that self-boastful, prideful kind of confidence in 2 Corinthians 11:17. 17. He says, what am I saying with this boastful confidence? The NIV has self-confidence. I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. So there's times we blurt out things that we should never say out of our supposed confidence. Uh, There's times, though, that we should take the Word of God to heart and understand that there's a confidence in Him that He wants us to relish and live in and and be empowered by. And Paul spoke of that in uh, Philippians 1.14. It says there, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak, The word without fear. So, his life, his example empowered them and bolded them to be confident in the Lord. And that's what I want for us. I want us to live with that kind of confidence day in and day out. We're entering back into our series on Blessed Assurance in 1 John. And I don't know if you remember, but uh, several months ago, Dan introduced this book to us as, as a book that was to bring to our lives greater confidence in our faith a bold, blessed assurance in the Father and and in his work through the Son in our lives. And so we want to jump back on that train and and write it for all it's worth today and and just see what God has for us through the text. Remember that during those days, John wrote to his audience because he knew they needed the truth of God, the Word of God to empower them and, and to grow through. And so that's what this is about. There were false teachers around them that were seeking to lead them astray, just as there are many false ideologies and things floating around in our world that could lead us astray. So our focus today is to drill down on this idea of confidence in the Lord. Uh, the first three of three uh, topics we're going to deal with is finding confidence in God's truth. There will be no confidence, none whatsoever, if it doesn't find its origin in the word, the truth of God. What should flow out of that then is our confidence before God, that we can stand before him, and we want to talk about that in more depth, and then also a confidence in God's spirit. How is the spirit of God working in your life, leading, guiding you, and empowering you? So with that, join me in verse uh, 19. The text there, talking first about God's truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. And reassure our hearts before Him. That's where we want to live. That's what we want to embrace. For whoever, for whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. So this verse starts off with, by this we know it. What uh, John is referring to is what he wrote in verse 18, and there it talks about we don't just love in in word, but we love in deed and truth and uh, the outworking of our faith. So what what John is teaching us, and we're going to see a lot more of this as we move forward, that the evidence of true faith, belief, conviction, confidence in the Lord is an outworking of faith uh, and love of others, one another particularly. First and foremost, each other. So faith working itself out as love. As we come to this text, I want us to spend a little bit of time on this idea of knowing that we're of the truth. First, knowing. There are several words in the Greek that relate to the idea of knowing. Uh, the one here, Dan's mentioned before, it's ginosko. And literally it means, in, in this text, I believe, a growing Faith. Because the voice and tense of the verb, are future, and, and it's what comes to us as a result of our study and our growth in the faith. So, so I think what, what John is showing us here is that we grow in knowing as we make this walk, this journey, as we... Uh, study the word, as we pray to God, as we learn, we grow in our knowing. We talk about that a lot uh, around here. We know, grow, and go. And we talk about growing in our knowing. And that's exactly what is in view here. And the question for all of us is, are we growing in our knowing? And and I believe what the text says is that we start as we come to faith, and we have some relatively new believers here that, that are just beginning to grasp these truths. And over time, the truth of God will become more and more a foundation for their life and will bring confidence to them because it's God's word, it's God's truth. So growing should lead to more confidence, greater confidence, uh, a settled and, and, and uh, just overwhelming confidence of life in God's truth, God's word, and the work of Jesus. So, so that's what's in view here, that, that we would be growing in that way and growing in this confidence in the Lord, a growing day-by-day uh, day progression of our faith, stability, strength, and, and just uh, grasping and holding and clinging and to be empowered by His truth, that we might live with confidence. God doesn't want us condemned. God doesn't want us weak. God doesn't want us wandering around half-dazed in this world. He wants us to live with His confidence, confidence in who He is, what He's done for us, and what His truth will look like as it works itself out. And the predominant way we'll see that faith evidenced is love for one another, the text says. We know Jesus said in John thirteen thirty four, 34, uh, the simple truth, the new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So one of the evidences of a confident faith in the Lord should be love for others. And, and th- th- there's a really good reason why that's true. If I don't have confidence in the Lord, uh, pretty much my life is about getting whatever it is I want out of life. So I'm using people. I'm using circumstances. I'm using life to give me what I want. I'm so empty inside. I'm so impoverished as a person. And I lived that way for many years that I used other people. I used everything I could to make myself grow and feel better about who I am. But once we come into the confidence of the Lord, we're strengthened within. We're confident in Him and His truth. And it emboldens us to live with confidence for Him so filled up with the love of Jesus that it literally oozes out of us around to, to and uh, the people that live around us, day by day by day. And that's the picture that we're looking at here. So knowing and, and growing in this knowing, uh, the truth here, we need to spend a few moments on that. What, what is truth? And I'm going to tell this to you as strongly and as boldly as I can. There is an absolute total. uh, trustworthy truth in our world and it is contained in this book. This is truth. It declares itself to be truth. We live in a world that has rejected the concept that there is real truth, that anybody can hang their head on anything. It's relative. Your truth, your truth, my truth, my truth. That is the biggest lie in our world today. I'm going to tell you today there's a truth that is grounded and rooted in the person and character of the living God. In fact, truth is an expression of who God is, period. Any real truth out there is God's evidence and handprint and fingerprints in this world. Here's just a brief definition of the concept of truth. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. It's real. It's trustworthy. It's a foundation that will never be shaken. It is that upon which we can build a confident life. And we've got to come to the place where we believe that and we hold to that and we live that day by day by day. That's the kind of truth that's in view here. It is an outworking of the person of God in our life. There's a lot of stuff in life that, that we trust as truth you know, medicine, we trust medicine, but if you give the wrong medicine in too great a dose to the wrong person, it could kill them. So the truth that that medicine is really good could be misused. Uh, the truth of God, if we know it and cling to it, will sustain us and strengthen us no matter what. It is a truth that is the very core and center of our being in our life. You know, one of the interesting accounts in all of Scripture is when Jesus Christ stood before Pilate. And Pilate made this statement, what is truth? John 18, 18. And the the amazing, ironic, incredible thing is that he was looking at truth incarnate. He was looking at the full embodiment and the possessor of all truth who claimed himself to be the very truth. His identity, he is the truth. And Pilate was looking at him. Right there, Jesus Christ. He said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is nothing in this life that is of any value that does not come through our relationship with him, through our faith and our confidence as it grows in him. What is truth? Jesus. He's not just the purveyor of truth that sustains our life. He himself is the embodiment of truth. It is his identity. And we can take that to the bank. We can hold on to that. It was proven by his resurrection from the dead. Romans 1 4 says this, And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So I want to challenge us as we go through this year to to consider this. Are we living as people who possess truth? We have it in our hands. Jesus said, Be sanctified by the truth. Your word is truth. You want truth? Here it is. It's available to all of you. The very word or or meaning behind the word truth is unhidden, available, open. This book is unhidden, available, and open to anyone who would open it up and read it, study it, pray over it, grow in knowing it. And as you do that, you will acquire more and more truth. That is where we live, in the truth for the truth. Given all that, the text goes on in verse 20 to say this, for whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. What this brings up is the subject of, of condemnation, heart condemnation that comes to us. And God has created us in such a way that we understand and know when we do wrong things. We know. Nobody has to tell us, we know. And that's, that's put into us by God it is used by His Spirit to keep us growing in a holy way. And the idea here is that uh, when our hearts condemn us, there should be a response in our lives to that guilt or condemnation that we feel. <clears> 2 <throat> Corinthians 7.10 says this, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So what's in view are two kinds of heart grief or condemnation. The first one is out there for us as believers. In fact, this whole passage was written to believers, but but it's the proper way to respond to condemnation, heart condemnation or guilt, godly sorrow that comes into our life when we inadvertently or even intentionally do wrong things. There is a process. What happens is we feel it. Then the Spirit of God comes to bring conviction to us about that. He convicts our hearts because we have quenched or grieved him in his work of growing us in the faith. And understand, the primary agent of growth in our life beyond this word is the Spirit of God. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But the last thing in the world you ever want to do is quench or grieve the Spirit of God because he is the purveyor of God's truth through the word to our lives. And confession is a good part of that. If we catch ourselves in sin, What do we do? The Spirit, the text says, brings us to godly sorrow so that we repent, we change our mind and heart and turn away from what is wrong, and we do it without regret. The tragedy is sometimes uh, we live with guilt and we live with uh, uh, shame because of things in the past. Maybe we don't really, and, and this is a concern, is that in spite of the gospel, in spite of confessing these things, in spite of the finished perfect work of Jesus, we still feel guilty. How can that be? We put our guilt, our our wrongdoing, at a greater place than the work of Christ. Never, never, never do that. No sin you've ever committed, nothing you've ever done in your life can block out or undo the sufficiency of what Christ did on the cross. Do not blaspheme the work of Christ on the cross by saying, God could never forgive me for that. I have to live with guilt and remorse and shame. God wants you confident in your relationship and your life with him through the finished, perfect work of the Lord Jesus. Embrace it, love it. That's what God has for us. The text says, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything we've ever done. And he knows if we've confessed it. He knows if we've turned to Him, He knows uh, where our hearts are. And the beauty of it all is that He's provided a way for us to be clean. Under the cross, all of our past sins are forever put away from us. If we fall into sin, we can confess it and turn away from it and find His righteousness. God has provided a way that we can live with absolute confidence and assurance before Him. Is there an amen out there for that? Please. That's how we can live day by day by day with that confidence and assurance before Him because He's done everything to pay the penalty for our sins. Here's a a few scriptures that just give us this truth in profound ways. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might be what? The righteousness of God. That's what the cross did for you. It did for me. All my past sins, God never sees. They're on Christ. And I am now seen by God as righteous. If I confess my sins, the scripture says, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I want you to think about that verse with me for a minute. He's faithful, means he's never, ever going to not do it. I think there's a double negative in there, forgive me for that. He's never, never, never not going to do it. Number two, he's just in doing it. Because of the sufficiency and perfection of Christ's work, every sin can be forgiven. His righteousness and holiness has been satisfied by the work of Christ, and we can trust that. That's the truth. We can live that power. He's faithful and just, and He will what? Forgive us and purify us. We can live with righteousness. So as I came up with this little formula as I was preparing this message, it's the cross and the confession of sin that leads us to confidence in God? Are you living that day in and day out? We're all going to fall into sin. We're broken people. We stumble, we fall. I had a little meeting with God last night because I'm struggling with some sin in my own life. <clears throat> I can't get it. Well, I could get it into detail, detail, but you don't need to hear all of the ugliness. I'm a selfish person. And so I, I had to meet with God. I can't talk to you people today with all that guilt in my heart. So God and I had a meeting last night, and I had to confess my selfish centeredness and my sinfulness in this particular situation. It's powerful. The cross and confession leads us to confidence, and that's where God wants us to live, in that assurance of confidence. Romans 8.1 says, this is amazing, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's where we live. That's what God wants us to live out. Paul was able to say, and and this is the habitual walk of the spiritual life, so I, what? I strive always, this is in Acts 24, 16, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. What a prayer. You You want to live in confidence before God? Live that. Live that out. Pray that for yourself every day. God wants us to be emboldened by his truth, and his truth leads us to that place where we can have that assurance, that confidence in Him and live in boldness and and, uh, share this gospel, this story, the truths of Him with boldness in our lives. Ravi Zacharias says this, the fact is the truth matters. That's a profound statement. The truth matters. There's nothing that matters more in your life and my life than God's truth. Do we see it that way? Do we embrace it that way? Is that true for us? He goes on to say, especially when you're on the receiving end of a lie and nowhere is it more important than in the area of faith and religion, eternity is an awful long time to be wrong. There may be some of you here today who who don't know and understand the reality of God's truth and how it uh, can impact your life. Well, I want to tell you, grab one of the pastors, grab your community group leader, grab me. If you don't understand truth, I will come alongside you. I'm I'm reading John's gospel with the guy who took me. We're we're through John's gospel in one year, and we're going to start another gospel because he still doesn't understand truth. I'm a patient guy. I'll take whatever time is necessary to help that man or you come to know Christ through knowing his truth. His truth is the foundation of our life and should be. As we move on in this passage, it says in verse 21, this... (laughs) Listen to these words. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have what? Confidence before God. That's the goal that God wants for our lives, to live in confidence before him, to not live with condemnation and guilt and shame that this world would put on us, that the enemy would put on us. I I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you're struggling with that or or you're feeling that in any way, but but I want to tell you, if you've trusted Christ your life's under the cross. He's shed blood. His finished work. If you confess your sins when you're aware of them, you can have confidence. You don't need to live with shame and guilt. God wants us to do that. If our hearts don't condemn us, we can stand before him. It's interesting this word condemn really means uh, to bring the truth against us. It's kataginisco. Gunisco is knowing truth. Truth against us or condemnation is truth brought against us. That's what the Spirit of God does. He takes His truth and He brings it into our understanding and preview and we can understand, oh my, I shouldn't have done that. God, That displeases God. That's, that's against the heart and will and purpose of God. So forgive me, God, so that I can move on. This is is what God wants us to do is have this clean, pure, righteous life before him to celebrate and rejoice and to have the confidence this passage speaks of. It draws our attention back to 1 John 2.28. I don't don't know if you remember this, this passage, but it's so precious. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. I don't know about you. Uh, we have grandchildren. I know you have, many of you have kids, but when your kids are really excited and they see you've been gone for a while, our granddaughter, when she comes through the door, she runs and leaps at us and grabs us. That's what that picture is showing. We can be with Jesus. When he appears, we can run to him and grab him because we have confidence in him. We know he loves us and he's provided everything we need to have that kind of confidence in life. That's, that's what God wants for our hearts, that we have that kind of, of, of confidence and passion and, and, and provision in our lives to live that way. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, let us have confidence before God. Do we live with that that full assurance and confidence before God are we keeping our hearts and lives clean of unconfessed sin are we able to boldly run to him that's what he wants for us the result of all this is uh, he says will embolden us in prayer and there's some powerful things that uh, are said here about prayer I gotta tell you straight up I've been doing this for quite a while I don't completely understand all this but I'll tell you what I do understand today 1 John 15, 14 through 15. I hope Dan gets that down the road. He can explain all this to us. Uh, it's a few weeks away. But anyway, it says there, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. It's not the only place that says that in the scriptures. John 15 in two places says something like that. 15.7 says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 15.16 says, you didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then my Father will give you whatever you ask. The, the truth of this passage, these passages, I believe, is that our prayers should be cloaked in trying to understand and grapple with the will of God. In the Lord's Prayer, how, do, how, how, how does it open? It opens with, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray, this is the best I know. I'm going to give you the best I know. When we formulate our prayers, I think it should be done with care. And I think we should ask the question, How does this prayer fit the will of God? What is the will of God in this situation? Think through maybe these four questions. They might help. Number one is will what i'm asking of god bring ultimate honor and glory to him and further advance his gospel and work in the world whatever the request is the second thing is will this will what i ask of in this prayer bring me to a place where i am sold out to the desire to grow no matter what life brings to me in faith and understanding and trust in the character and the wonder of God. As we go through life, that, I don't know, but th- this is my simple explanation. We're still in a broken, fallen world for one reason. Because our brokenness, the fallenness of this world, is, is left. we're left in it so that we might cling to God, grow, grow toward God, embrace God, know the character and the wonder of God. So God, use whatever's going on in my life. I don't don't want to do what it may be, but help me, help God use it to press me into you that I might grow in you and grow in my confidence in you. And and thirdly, maybe, God, I don't know what else is going to happen through this time, but might my life render a glorious testimony to your sufficiency in your son. Whether I'm living or dying, may my words point people to him. Point people to him. That's three. I forgot the fourth one. Let me look at my notes. I think I put two to one, or two and two one, so go with that. You know, I'm still in process on this. I know this is a really sensitive, difficult subject for Christians. What do I ask for? Uh, but I know I can ask those things with great confidence. I want to grow in him. I want to exalt him. And I want to trust him for whatever he brings to my life. So maybe that's what it means here. I hope it does. This is the idea of bringing forth fruit and glorifying God through our lives. I love what Zwingli said. Uh, he was one of the reformers. Uh, the, uh, um, uh, Brandon and Kinsley McNeil were in the first service. I, I don't know how many of you know the names of their kids. They have a uh, Calvin and a Wesley and a Luther. And when we dedicated Luther, I said, If you guys have a fourth boy, you're going to have to call him Zwingli. They haven't had any more boys. You wonder why? Hey, Zwingli? You know, uh, Zwingli was one of the contemporaries and great reformers of that day. Listen to these words, they're so powerful. He said, Our confidence in Christ does not make us lazy, negligent, or careless. That's what I want in my flesh. He goes on to say, but on the contrary, it awakens us, urges us on, and makes us active in living righteous lives and doing good. There is no self-confidence to compare with this. Wow, I want my confidence to be in Him in everything. And I think as my confidence in Him grows, whatever I try to do on my own will be improved, enhanced, enriched by my life and testimony and work for Him my so-called so-called self-confidence. Well, let's jump into the last part of this passage. In verse uh, 23 it says, "And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and <clears throat> and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commands abides in us or abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us." The first part of this is, it's kind of a summary of this whole passage. If we believe in the name of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and love one another. This is a really interesting command because it's singular. The command is singular, but it has two parts. One part is to believe in the Lord Jesus, and the second part is to love one another. And what John is teaching us here is they're inseparable. The evidence of your belief in Jesus is seen in your love for one another unquestionable, uncontestable. If we truly believe in Him, the outpouring, the outwork of that will be love for one another. It's interesting, too, that belief, most often in the Scriptures, when it talks about belief, it's a once-for-all action. It's a commitment we take that we're going to live our lives on the truth of God. We're going to believe the Gospel. We're going to believe in Jesus. We're going to trust His work. And so to believe in Him is what leads then to our ability, as I said before, to love others because it's not all about me. I'm freed to serve others, love others, care for others, share with others, pour out to others because it's not all about me. And only faith does that. I I am the perfect example of the most selfish human being you ever knew on the planet prior to my conversion. If you want to know more about that, talk to me. I'll be glad to share But the beauty of this, and and I want you to get this, just the the awesomeness of how the two are joined together and that they are the expression of God's truth. God's truth is that we know his son. You never put these words in front of a preacher, but he's going to explain them again for the thousandth time. So if there's anybody in the audience who has not trusted Jesus, you're going to have an opportunity right now, okay? Everybody else can leave for a little break, go get coffee, whatever. No, (laughs) Uh, Really, there are four elements to faith in my view. Believe in the person of the Lord Jesus, or, or Jesus, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it we, we're called to believe about him? I think there's four things. The first of these is his deity. You'll see it on the screen behind me. Uh, in uh, <clears throat> the scriptures, we read this in John 20:31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What what John was referring to here is all the miracles and all the acts and wonders that Jesus did, raising people from the dead, uh, combating the religious leaders of his day who were these knowledgeable people that he left speechless because they couldn't figure him out. He was so wise and so powerful in what he spoke. He is God. These were written, all of these events, and John says there's more than can fill all the books in the world. May uh, were written so that you can believe Jesus, Son of God, and that by believing might have life in his name. So we've got to believe in his deity. He's God come to this earth to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. He had to come in his humanity. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So we believe in Jesus as both being fully God and fully man. He came and he lived in perfect obedience to the Father, never sinning, then he was able to offer himself on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. This is truth, absolute, unequivocal truth. He came fully God. He experienced humanity fully man, and then he died on our behalf. Because of his obedience, he was able to satisfy and justify us before God. All of that is made clear in his death. He died for our sins, 1 Corinthians 5, 13, and 14. He died to pay the penalty for our sins. I can die for my sin, but I can't die for your sin. You're going to die for it, or he's going to die for it. You've got two choices. You're going to do it, or he's going to do it. And that's as clear as I can make it. He died to pay the penalty for our sins. Then he was buried, the text says. I didn't put it in the notes or on the screen. But, uh, the evidence of his death is that they buried him. You don't bury live people, Right? Well, I guess some people do once in a while. It's not common, but th- but the reality is, uh, he was really dead, and uh, it's back before they did that. And then he was raised on the third day. He came back to life. Uh, this is the truth and the testimony. Of the people that were with uh, John when he wrote this, the other apostles, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him with our hands. He was here. And so believing these truths about Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man died for our sins, rose from the dead. Those are the key elements of faith. Believing in Him and that truth brings us into His eternal family. He is our Savior and our Lord. He empowers us, because of that, to love others. The outworking of this faith, of this trust, this confidence in Him is we can love others, share our life with them, pour out into them, give to them, do whatever we need to do to express love, care, and concern for them. If they're hurting, if they're troubled... We can pray, we can come alongside, we can bring food. There's many, many things we can do to express and share the love of Christ. That's what he wants for us to do. And this wraps up with this verse in 24. Whoever keeps his commands abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And the idea that he abides in us is, is that he's come to live in us, but we abide in him. And I think what that really points to, and, and Jesus dealt with this a lot in John 15 about abiding in him. I was looking out my window this morning at a tree. And it, the, the scriptures liken us as a branch. You know, and as I looked at that branch, guess what? There is nothing else sustaining that branch but the branch and tree below it. Every, every bit of life, every bit of nourishment, every bit of anything that keeps that branch alive is coming up to it because it's attached to the trunk. And that's what our life should look like. So attached to him and his truth that our confidence is off the chart. Our confidence is, is bringing up boldness in us as, as we're, we're being built up in his love and truth and then sharing his love and truth with others. By this we know we have the Spirit. I love what Ephesians 13, 14 says. Listen to these words. In him you also, when you heard the words of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So if your faith is in Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you two things right now. Number one, you have as much of the Spirit of God as any other believer has ever had. You have as much of the Spirit of God as John Calvin did or Martin Luther or any of them or me or we all get the same amount of the Spirit. God has resourced us with himself to live within us and to empower us and bring his life to fullness within us as we seek to know His truth, study His truth, grow in His truth, His Spirit is bringing all that into fullness in our life. So my question for you today is, how have you seen the Spirit work in your life recently? I asked that question in first service, and I almost went out and got a cup of coffee. Total silence. I think this is something we should be thinking about all the time. What have you seen the Spirit do in your life recently? He's in you to grow you and, and do many other things. What are some of those things the Spirit does? Yell them out. Convict. Convict. He brings conviction. Yeah. So that we'll repent. What else? Joy. 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 He brings joy to us. What else? Did you say confession? Yeah, He empowers confession. Yeah. What else? Confession. He teaches. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We couldn't... I, I sort of picked up this book before I came a believer, and I, I couldn't make any sense out of it. It was... It, was, it made no sense to me when I became indwelled with the Spirit. I could start to understand it and grow in it. And now for 40 years, I've grown in this book. It's the best thing in the world to know God through His Word. What else? Love, love yeah. He empowers us to love. Kindness. We could, what else? Kindness. kindness, yeah. All of these things. He leads us. He guides us. He empowers us. He testifies to us. He strengthens us. He brings conviction to us. We've seen all of those things. We... One of the greatest reasons we should have confidence in our lives is that we see the Spirit of God at work in us, bringing conviction, bringing illumination, bringing understanding, bringing empowerment, bringing boldness. When we see those things happen, and that ought to, that ought to you know, kind of empower our confidence. So, so I want to leave you with that thought. Just think through these things for this year. Number one, can you say up front that you know you're of the truth? You hunger for the truth. You want to grow in the truth. You want to live the truth because there isn't any other truth to live or know or grow in. It's just what's in this book, period. Have you come to that place where you have confidence in God's presence, where where you know one day when you see Jesus, you'll, you'll be able to run and leap in his arms because you're so confident that he has dealt with your sin, any sin of the past, any sin in the present, you've confessed it. And in the truth, you know you're his child and you can live in that assured, blessed, amazing place. Is there, uh, I want you to think for me, is there anything else in your life that you want this year more than that? To have the full confidence of God? Uh, I'm probably going to tick you off and that's okay. If there's anything in your life you want more than that, you're, you're lusting and longing after the wrong thing. And when we see God at work in us, this, this confidence and this truth working itself out as the Spirit grows us, uses us, leads us, empowers us to whatever the Spirit does in our life, I think there's about 30 things He's capable of doing in us. And we all have Him in equal measure. We all have equal access to Him. He's not, I don't get more of Him because I'm a pastor. But I may need to surrender more of my life to Him and that's the issue. You don't get more of him until you surrender to him. So these are all things to consider. Chris, come and wrap us up, and then we'll have a blessing before we go out. God is so good. Let me pray as they come. Father, God, my prayer is that we would know the confidence that ours that, our, that is ours in Christ, God built on, founded in, the truth that is from you. God, grow us in this way. Help us to be quick to cling to the cross and confess any sin that comes before us so that we can have and maintain and keep walking in that confidence that is yours that comes into our lives. And God, give us this hope that we can run one day into your arms and embrace you and hug you and cling to you as a child does to his parent or grandparent. And God, embolden us by the work of your Spirit in our hearts and lives. We pray all this for your glory, honor, and advancement of your kingdom. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close our service together. Trusting in our God who's given us his presence, his word, his truth. We have assurance in him. Let's lift our voices up together in in that assurance.